0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program today, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in with us every week and follow with what we're sharing. Um, If you've been watching for the last six weeks, we've been uh, working on a series from the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue that series today uh, and uh, we're going to be dealing with chapter three of the book of Hebrews. I think the book of Hebrews is probably one of the most important pieces of New Testament literature uh, that's out there because it really brings a a legal argument to the whole New Covenant concept. Uh, But before I get in the Word, let me just quickly tell you that if you have missed any of our programs you can go back and watch them on our YouTube channel. Uh, The easiest way to find our YouTube channel is simply to go to our website, which the address is on the screen at www.lynhiles.com, where you can see it here throughout the program. If you go there, there's a direct link to our YouTube page, and you can subscribe to that page, and and YouTube will send you an email every time there's a new one uploaded. You can also go to our iTunes podcast feed and there you can get the audio portion of this where you can stream it in your automobile or you can uh, watch it, you know, or listen to it when you are stuck in traffic. What a great way to redeem uh, the time. There's also a direct link there from our website to our RSS feed. And before I get in there again, I thought today I would mention, since we are coming into Uh, the Christmas holidays. If you are there at our website, that's the easiest way to order any of our books. But let me just first mention, uh, my newest book just came off the press this month, and there will be an ad at the end of the uh, program for this particular book. But uh, one of the things the Lord really put on my heart in this particular book was uh, the, the gospel of grace I believe, is the lead-in to understanding uh, not only the New Covenant, but since there is a New Covenant, and the contrast between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant needs to be made in the uh, understanding of most believers. But uh, one of the things that I began to do when I started preaching, for instance, freedom from law, and that we are not under the law of Moses, we are under a New Covenant, a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon and they… uh, they 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 were just excited to be free from law, but this book is primarily about the word repentance in Matthew three, where John the Baptist said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And repentance is not a bad word; it's simply a word that means to change the way you think. And so, uh, what the whole gospel of the kingdom is about is moving from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. And uh, when it's not, when you repent, it's not just what you turned from, Uh, a lot of people have turned from law, a lot of people have turned from religion, but they've not turned toward anything. And so that's only part of the gospel if that's all you're hearing. So uh, uh, what this book is about is not just what you turn from, but what you turn toward. And when you turn toward the kingdom, there's a new form of government called the Holy Spirit that will, uh, uh, that, that will begin to govern you. There's a new form of government. So this book marries the grace message with the, with the kingdom message and with the government of heaven. There's a, um, uh, there's a chapter in there called Introduction to the Kingdom. There's one called a kingdom paradigm shift. Uh, there's one called as the days of heaven on earth. There's one called the government of affirmation because the kingdom of God affirms you. The law of Moses disqualifies you. One is a government of condemnation. One is a government of affirmation. There's one in, there's a chapter in here called The Kingdom is Organic. There's one called Life in the Kingdom is the Spirit-Led Life. We talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit. There's one in here that's powerful about the timing of the kingdom. And then we have a chapter in there called Blessing or Wrath. And then one called Elijah Must First Come. You'd be blessed to get this book, I think, and and it really will bless you. I wrote this one also uh, a few years back, and it's titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace. This book is about the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day and how what flows from this incredible posture called rest. In Hebrews 4 Uh, You know, let me just read the back of this to you because it kind of explains. It says, a careful study of Hebrews 4 will cause the reader to conclude that the promised land is more than just a piece of real estate. It is faith in Christ and His finished work that brings us into this incredible promised land called rest. Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to the fathers. In Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. It is from the posture of rest that there is a steady outflow of milk and honey. Resting in Christ does not mean that we become spiritual couch potatoes. It simply means that everything that flows from our lives is a result of Him working in us and living His life through us. We are utterly dependent on Him. Without Him we can do nothing, but with Him we can do all things. A land that flows with milk and honey is the abundant life at every level. It is the good life physically and spiritually, Get ready to experience that life now as you read the pages of this book. This book will bless your heart as well. And then this book I wrote in 2007 called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And what it is about, it's about if you've ever been afraid of the book of Revelation, this book right here will help you get rid of some of the fear because it shows you, first of all, that what this, this particular book is about the seven churches in Asia and what they needed to change their thinking about in order to enter into a New Covenant uh, paradigm. And so that's, this book will help you. uh, This really deals with the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And I think you'll be blessed to get a hold of this book. And uh, you know, with Christmas coming, those are just tremendous good ideas maybe to give someone you love Uh, the gift of the gospel. And when you do that, of course, it helps us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. Now, uh, springing board from that, let me just come back and talk to you about the book of Hebrews, because as I was talking about uh, this book, especially Unforced Rhythms of Grace, uh, I talk about in that book that the promised land is more than just a piece of real estate. According to Hebrews 4, and we will get into this in more detail, but I will read this to you so you can see actually where we're headed with chapter 3. But chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews said, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So what we're going to see as we progressively move through the book of Hebrews, is that especially in the next chapter, the promised land is more than just a piece of real estate. The promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see a whole lot about that as we begin to progress through this book. But if you remember the things I've taught in the last six segments again, in chapter one of the book of Hebrews, First of all, he's writing to Hebrews. These Hebrews are literal, historic Hebrews. And this book is written in the 60, um, I'm not sure exact date, but I think around 64 to 67 A.D. And this book is written to Hebrews who are 30 some years into the New Covenant. They're almost 40 years into the New Covenant coming on the scene. These Hebrews are being tempted to go back to Judaism, and so they are uh, they are—they are, they are being tempted. And so, whoever it is that's writing this book is writing this book, uh, according to Hebrews chapter 13, so that their hearts can be established in grace, and so that they're able to make this transition out of an old covenant paradigm into a new covenant. Uh, When we saw in chapter 1 that he said God has in these last days spoken to us by the Son, he was not talking to us in that text that about the last days of this age. He was talking to Hebrews who were in the last days and the closing days and the final days of what the book of Hebrews says was the fading away of the Old Covenant mosaic system. And he begins to lay out an incredible treatise of what is better about the new covenant than it is about the old covenant. And he tells them in chapter number one, first of all, that God spoke to us in through by the prophets, and, uh, uh, but hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son, that the Son Himself came to introduce us to a greater, if you will, promised land, a greater priesthood we're going to find, a better tabernacle with better blood and better promises and a better covenant. And everything about this is better. And he tells them that in chapter 1 that the first covenant came by the hand of angels, but this covenant is coming through the hand of a son. And it's a better covenant. He tells them in chapter 1 and then through chapter 2 that uh, he talks about that like a garment, uh, the, the world that then was, was about to fade away like a garment being changed. And we begin to share out of that chapter 1, I probably don't need to go back because I find myself reviewing too much here, but, uh, it, it, you know, in verse number 11 of chapter 1 it says, And uh, they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old, as it doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and thou shalt be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years fail not. And I begin to see that, uh, that what he's talking about here is the same thing that he was talking about in the, the Gospel of Matthew when he said, no man puts a piece of new cloth into an old garment. Now that doesn't mean you can't put uh, a charismatic songs in a Presbyterian church. What he's saying is you don't put the New Covenant you don't put a New Covenant patch on an Old Covenant garment. It has to be completely changed and folded up and folded together and put away like a garment. They will be changed. We need to change clothes, folks. We need to absolutely change the garment. I believe one of the biggest problems we're having in the American church, and if not globally right now, is that people are trying to bring this new covenant patch of grace and mix it with an old covenant uh, paradigm, if you will. It's like putting new wine in an old wineskin or a new patch uh, in an old garment. You're going to have to fold it up. You're going to have to change those garments. And then He goes into the next chapter in chapter 2 and says to them in chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, just by way of review a little bit, He said He did not put the world to come in subjection to angels, but He put the world to come in subjection to the Son. And then in that uh, second chapter of Hebrews, He includes us in that Sonship and says that the world to come was put in subjection not to angels, but to sons. That's powerful to me. Now what we do a lot of times, so many times, you know, King James in its version has so many different words that it translates world uh, that uh, sometimes you can get confusing. There are some places where the word world, for instance, is the Greek word age. It has nothing to do with global things. It has everything to do with the change of an age. And so, uh, you know, uh, when, and I'll probably touch this a little bit more as we go in the next several weeks, but when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 writes to the church at Corinth, he tells them, we're the people talking to the church at Corinth, not the church in Philadelphia or uh, 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 New York City of today. He was talking to that audience. And he said to them, we are the people upon whom the ends of the world have come. And I think I dealt with that somewhat in the last couple segments. But he was talking to the Corinthian church in the first century, and he's saying to them, we're the people upon whom the ends of the world, literally the age, had come. And the end of that age was the age of the old covenant, and the, the, the world to come, or the age to come, was the coming age. Now this word here is not age, but it has to do with the ordered arrangement. I believe it's the Greek word oikomine. I I can't pronounce them real clearly. But it's talking about, there's a whole new way of doing things that was coming on the scene. And this new world that he was talking about in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, the world to come, is the world that you and I are living in right now. We are living post-Calvary. We are living in a new covenant. We are living in the present reality of the kingdom. You say, well, if we're living in the kingdom, then why is everything uh, going on the way it is? Well, first of all, I'd hate to see it if there wasn't any influence of the kingdom in the earth. But the truth of it is, is I believe the more we understand our sonship and our call to possess the land and to walk in the realities of this kingdom of God, that we will see changes take place around us. I better get into chapter 3, or I won't get there today, but let's begin reading in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. So again, he begins, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to take their focus and put it on the centerpiece of the gospel, the centerpiece of the kingdom. The centerpiece of the new covenant, and that is the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. What I also love is how he opened this third chapter of the book of Hebrews and he says to them, I like this. Wherefore, holy brethren, I like that, partakers of the heavenly calling. He sets you up by calling you who you truly are in this new covenant paradigm. You've been made partakers of the divine nature. In the Old Covenant, it was an old man trying to get enough rules from an old covenant to get an old man to behave. But in the New Covenant, it's more than uh, rules imposed upon a sin-natured fallen Adamic man, but it's God having transformed us, or if you will, translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, I like to use the term He brought us to regeneration. And I stress the word gene there. He's regenerated us or regened us, gave us a new nature, made us a partaker of His divine nature. So He's starting this whole chapter by bringing you to an awareness of who you are in this new covenant. And He's telling them that you are made a partaker of the heavenly calling, and he said consider then take your focus and put it on Jesus Christ who is the apostle and high priest of our profession. In other words, it's because of what he did that we make the profession of faith, that we don't back down from our profession. I profess to be a Christian. I profess to be a follower of Jesus, and I will not back down from that profession of faith. Now he goes on to say, now what he's going to do here, is he's going to make the comparison between Moses and, uh, and, and Jesus. Because Jesus, everything about this book of Hebrews will continue to show you what Jesus is better, Jesus is better. In other words, we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Jesus is better, hallelujah, than angels. And uh, you know, he, he, that, that's the first thing he says. But in chapter 2 and 3 he tells us, Jesus is is better than Moses. Now let's go and see this again. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house has more honor than the house for every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. See this again? He's pointing you back to the fact that when you were under the old covenant, you were servants, but in the new covenant, you were sons. He goes, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So we, it comes in to bring this contrast again. It said Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant. But we come along and see that, you know, but Christ as son over his own house because, you know, Moses was faithful over the house, but the one who built the house was Christ. And then he goes on to say whose house we are. So what he's saying again, here's something that's far more glorious. I think sometimes we take some of these concepts for granted. Because in the new covenant, God doesn't just come down and visit us. God moves into the house that we are. We are His house in the new covenant. What? Know you not, your temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you've heard me say this scripture over and over again from Revelation 21 especially from the Message Bible. It says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home with men. He's their God, there is His people. In other words, God moves into us. In the New Covenant, we don't have a bankrupt system that is making demands on us that we cannot supply. In the New Covenant, God Himself comes and takes up His abode within us and gives us His very own life so that the life we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And uh, you know, I was just teaching recently out of John 14, may have even mentioned this in some of our prior segments. But in John 14, Jesus begins to declare uh, to those disciples whom were standing there with Him towards the end of the Last Supper, right before His decease. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless there is the Greek word orphanos. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I and my Father, we will come, and we will make our abode in you. One of the powerful things about this new covenant is God moves into the tabernacle, the temple and which we are and He moves in with everything He is, so that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and I. And He goes on to say in that same text in John 14, greater works than these will you do, because I go to my Father. So one of the powerful blessings of this new covenant is that God moves in and we become His house. As a matter of fact, you know I was thinking the other day as I was sharing some things Uh, from the book of Corinthians where the Apostle Paul would come to the Corinthian church. Now you, you you have to understand that this Corinthian church was very dysfunctional. It starts out with a man who is committing fornication uh, with his father's wife, and Paul comes along and rebukes this thing and stands against it, but they are uh, getting drunk at the love feast. They are going to law with each other. There's all kinds of dysfunction in this early Corinthian church. And one of the things that Paul uses to bring correction to them is that he does not, first of all, take them back to an old creation and and, and browbeat them like they're still an Adam. He says, let me stir up your pure mind. Let me put you in remembrance of some things. Once you were darkness, past tense, that's who you used to be. That's not who you are now. Once you were darkness, but now you're light. In other words, he brings them back into the revelation of who they are in the new creation. And he, then he goes on to say, what agreement does the temple of God have to do with idols? And he said, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And he said, can you take the temple of God and join it to a harlot? And I'm telling you, if that doesn't become a deterrent to you, in other words, he was talking about the idolatry of the systems of that day and their temple prostitutes and all of the stuff that was going on in those particular religious settings. And he's saying to them, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And would you take Christ and join it to a harlot? In other words, He ain't going to leave you or forsake you, so whatever you're going to do, you're going to take Him with you because He lives in you and He has taken up His permanent abode within you. And that ought to be to you a deterrent of entering into those unholy Uh, uh, relationships and alliances is an understanding that you are a new creature in Christ. Uh, I, I love what the Woosh translation says in, you know, in Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 says in, in, in the King James Bible, if you then be risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, the Woos translation, W, I think it's spelled W-E-U-E-S-T, something like that, the W-E-U-S-T, Woos translation is probably the most accurate as far as tenses of the Greek. But this is what it says in the Woos translation. Instead of saying, if you then, it says, since then, or in view of the fact, therefore, that you have been raised with Christ. See, that's true of you. You were crucified with Christ. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about holy brethren. I'm talking about people who've been made a partaker of the divine nature. And that translation in Colossians, it says, in view of the fact therefore that you've been raised with Christ, the things above be constantly seeking where Christ sits. And then he comes down through that whole chapter and says, then put away from you these things. He said, because this is what you used to be, but now you're no longer that. So He continues to, see, build you up as to who you are in the new covenant. And it is, as I shared before, uh, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians, or I think it's 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 3 that talks about in the Message Bible, for if the government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? So He continues to affirm them. The government of the kingdom affirms you. It brings correction to you by telling you, you've been made a partaker of the divine nature. Uh, You've got a new nature operating inside of you. You've got somebody living inside of you, and greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Somebody watching me today, you might be going through some struggles and say, I've just got some stuff that's going on in my life. And I'm I'm not diminishing that by any stretch of the imagination. I am offering you the solution. And that is somebody greater than your problem lives inside of you. And because He lives inside of you, He will strengthen you and make you have the ability to be able to uh, just look unto Jesus as this chapter is pointing, look back not to Moses, but look to the Son who is the Apostle and High Priest of your profession, and put your focus on the one who lives and resides inside of you. Put your focus on who you are now in this new creation. Uh, I like, again, the Woosh translation says in Romans chapter 12, it says, stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. But change that expression, fashioned after the real you, the inward you. In other words, what transforms your life is not continually browbeating you and putting you down. Everything about this book of Hebrews is saying, it's time to cross over into this promised land called Christ. And when you get in this promised land called Christ, and this promised land of the kingdom of God, and this promised land of rest, everything is going to flow out of you like milk and honey. What a powerful contrast to Moses. Look unto Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I just like to brag on Jesus because He's worth bragging on. Well, we're about to run out of time today already. I can't hardly believe we've just about run out of time. But if you're enjoying the program and you'd like to become part of a, something that's touching the nations, call the number on the screen or go to our website. It takes your financial support to be able to do that. When you order the books that I talked about at the beginning of the program, that also helps us to touch the nations of the earth. Your generous seed is what enables us and empowers us to stay on the air. And if you're feeding from this ministry and you can help us, we would greatly appreciate it. We're deeply thankful for you faithful partners who have sown into this ministry. Uh, if, you, if you can do it that way, you can also call the number on the screen and someone will take your credit card. God bless you. Thank you for joining again this week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.